Welcome to the podcast of the European Society of Anesthesiology and Intensive Care. I am your host, Dr. Igor Abramovich from the Charité Berlin, and today we will be talking about the IDAIC Part 1 exam and preparation. And there we have invited Dr. Nicolaus Borglick from the Hospital Universitat La Paz, Madrid in Spain. Welcome, Nicolas. Thank you, Igor. And I would like to thank the Education and Training Committee for this kind invitation to talk about the Part 1 EDAIC exam. So now, you know, thinking about the EDAIC Part 1, I think next week the registrations are going to start for this year's exam. And I think that the exam itself, especially Part 1, is getting popular from year to year. What would you say about this? Exactly, Igor. Really, the exam, the part one exam, the written exam of the DIAC is a very important event in the life of the SIC. And effectively, we will start with registrations for a period of between two and three months until, until June, just next week, to, well, recruit new candidates and future uh, diplomats of the SIC. Every year, the exams and the part one exam, the written exam, recruits around now around 3,000 candidates worldwide, which, which means that we are present in about 90 countries on four continents, and all the number of candidates have been increasing quite importantly in the last years. To give you some other numbers, we have now 90 centers and the exam can be given in 11 languages. So you can choose also the, ex the, the language in which you will perform your exam if you register. Wow, that's like a huge number already. But one thing confuses me a bit. It seems like the exam is mandatory in some countries and some not. Could you explain a bit more about this? Okay, yeah, that's a very nice and important and interesting question. For a country to make the examination obligatory, mandatory, it is mandatory that local authorities adopt it as part of their training program, and not all the countries do it. For now, we have 14 countries in the world who do it, mostly in Europe, and also Argentina, who is a part, but who is still adopted in the region of, of, of Buenos Aires. And so it would be great that all the countries in Europe and outside Europe would adopt the exam as their national uh, evaluation system, but still we are not at that point. And it's a, a matter of harmonization, really, of knowledge that all the candidates around Europe do the exam. It's also a matter of excellence of our professionals, that if they have a good level of knowledge, then they will be excellent. And it's a matter also of prestige of our speciality. So really, it is recommendable that we try and to convince our politicians and the, our um, leaders in our spe specialty that the IDAIC is an important issue and that we should adopt it as national exams and that it is at some point mandatory in all our countries but still it depends on each country really uh, to adopt it or not. I see. Well, uh, so regarding the structure of an exam, what can you tell us about 
this structure. So, I mean, if I take the exam, how would it be for me? So it is, it's an important question that you know how the examine is set so that we can, you can get prepared adequately, no? And for the exam, for this exam, you will have two sets of 60 questions, multiple true, false MCQs, in which for each question, you have five answers to which you have a true or false answer. About the topics which are treated during the exam, in the first set, which is paper A, it affects basic science. So you will be asked about 60 topics on basic science. The paper B, the clinical anesthesia paper, will cover all the program of the ETRs, the European training requirements, which have been, um, well, updated very, very, a few, a few, a few weeks ago, I would say. So concerning the program, which is covered, you will have to know about anesthesia, of course, but also about pain, about critical care, about emergency medicine, and including all the basic knowledge for physiology, pharma, physics, applied anatomy, equipment, and statistics. That is really what we believe in the committee and many uh, people who already have passed the exam that an anesthesiology should know uh, when he is in his professional life. And so we ask, we suppose that the anesthesiologist is supposed to have this level of knowledge right at the end of his training program, just before becoming a specialist. So you said multiple true and false, multiple choice questions. When I talk to like more experienced colleagues of mine, they say the, um, let's say the ranking system changed because we know when I talk to them, they say, if you choose something wrong, you get negative points. Was it changed in the past? Effectively. In fact, when, when I did the exam in 2006, I had this marking system so that if I answered and answered the wrong answer, then I would have a negative point. So it was still possible in the past that you end the exam if you did more wrong answers than right answers, that you might finish with a negative pointing no, for, for the papers. And there has been some changes in, in this marking system since uh, two th 2007, 2008. And so the, some, some, some studies in educational science showed that really when you have negative points in the exam, you may disadvantage the candidates, especially shy candidates who won't dare to answer if they are not 100% sure because they will think they might have a negative point. And so in 2007, 2008, the EDAG changed the marking system. And so now you don't have any negative points. So if you don't answer or give a wrong answer, then we'll just have zero to this uh, part of the MCQ. This is an incitation for you to answer all the question, whatever the reason. If you are not sure, then think simple and answer anything. 
And if you don't know, really don't know what the answer can be, then statistically you will have more chance that the answer is true than false because in the whole exams, the proportion of right answer of truths is higher than the uh, proportion of false answers. So you don't have anything to lose. Answer the question and if you, if you really don't know, then answer a true. I see. So always dare to give an answer within the exam. So after finishing the exam, you know, how is like the pass mark calculated? Because it's differently from year to year. So we have a bank of questions of which we pull out all the questions and they are all reviewed every year by the whole committee. We are uh, almost 20 persons from many European countries reviewing all the questions, writing the questions. And so from one year to the other, the questions are not the same and might be a bit harder, a bit uh, easier also. So we have to assess first the difficulty of the questions, the difficulty of the whole exam for each paper, and also the level of the candidates. And for that, we have some uh, statistic tools to, to assess all that. And so we determine the pass mark for each year, depending on those parameters using, well, the Gauss curve uh, system. To give you an idea of what is the pass mark year after year, if you want to pass paper A, depending on the year, you will have to pass it with a score which will be above 66 to 69% of right answers. Concerning paper B, you will need to have a, a pass rate, a pass mark, uh, sorry, a mark, I would say, which will be between 67 and 70%. So the scores for paper B for clinical anesthesia are always a little bit higher than for paper A. Okay, so now I feel quite encouraged to take the exam. What would you recommend me and our trainees? What level of knowledge is required for the exam and when should we take it? The average knowledge uh, required for the part one exam is really a standard of excellence or what we believe is a standard of excellence in anesthesiology. So this uh, standard is reported in the European training requirements and it is a reflect of the high level of knowledge in all the fields which are covered by this, the, 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 the European training requirements and most of the European countries. This means that we are not pulling out of the bank questions which are completely absurd and we try to fit with these requirements of knowledge. Hey, all right. So another question is that I have. So uh, let's say I registered myself for the exam and I do want to learn and prepare. When should I start? And since I'm talking to you, you are maybe the best person to ask this. Do you have any tips for preparation? Sure. First of all, for the preparation, I, I, I encourage all the candidates or future candidates to look at the ISAIC webpage where we have all a series of recommendations for course, for books overall, for, for books and for documents where you might want to look to get prepared. One of my recommendations is that you start very early in your training program. Don't wait until the fourth year of residency program 
to say, oh, I'm going to register for the exam. It is not how it works. You have to, from the beginning of your training in anesthesiology and intensive care, you have to start studying in views of the exam, learning all the topics which are included in the syllabus uh, or in the European trainings requirements. And this will help you also to be proficient in your training trainings in the different units where you will be going during the training program and it will allow you to be a good professional also. It is not just about an exam, it's about knowledge to be an excellent professional. What you can and you have to do also is to train with MCQs. The exam is based on MCQs and if you are very performance from a knowledge point of view, but you haven't trained with MCQs and you come to the exam, then you might also fail the exam just for lack of training with the type of examination which is provided with the part one examination. So for the MCQs, you have some banks of questions which depends on web page, which are very similar to the FRCA. And you also have the OLA, which is part of the EDAIC uh, committee, which is a training uh, assessment, which is organized every year in April, and which is an exact reflect of what the part one examination is. The good thing about OLA is that you have a report about a month after, which gives you all the scores you have by every topic. So you can see the level of preparation you have for each topic. And this encourages you to finalize your preparation for September with the best data on how you perform for the OLA. Another important issue or another important uh, training which the ESAIC organizes is the BISCAC course, the BISAC course, which is really a very nice course organized by people who have been or are, or, or are still in the organization of the examination. And you have very, very valuable information. And you also have an OLA included in the BISCA course. So really, I encourage uh, our listeners to look for information about this course and to register for it. It's a very nice course. And finally, not everybody has the time or can uh, connect for the BISAC course, which is now online. Some uh, past chairs of the examinations committee, uh, Andrei Varvinsky, Mario Zirafa and Suhil, have been editing a very nice book titled How to Pass the Idaic, which was just released a few days, a few weeks ago, and which will give you lots of indications of how to prepare, how to do the exam, and how to pass it for part one, but also for part two. And these are more or less my uh, advices for preparing the examination, for the written examination, I mean. Okay, next class. Thank you so much for telling us about the Daik part one exam, how it, the PASC mark is calculated telling us that you can just, you know, dare to answer and just nothing to lose and that the exam itself is very prestigious and registration will start soon. 
Thank you so much also for your tips. Is there anything else you would like to give us trainees on our way to the exam? Oh, no. Thank you for the invitation for talking to talk about the part one examination and good luck to all our candidates. And I hope that these advices will permit you all to pass the exam and to go to the second phase to the part two to the oral examination. Thank you and see you very soon. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode. The Isaac releases monthly podcasts on the Isaac website and various other streaming platforms. We hope you will join us for the next one. Bye.